Greetings to all the amazing people watching and listening to this. Welcome to Chazuba Talks, a podcast dedicated to sharing compelling stories of hope, determination and humanity. A grant is the way the government funds your ideas and projects to provide public services and stimulate the economy. All non-profits know that applying for a grant involves a lot of labor and reporting. Nevertheless, it is an indispensable document. Hello, I'm Tej, and with me today is Dr. Beverly Browning, a non-profit capacity building consultant and revenue generating visionary. She is a grant writing consultant who uses thought leadership to work with eligible organizations struggling with the woes of revenue stream imbalances. Dr. Bev and her team members have helped her clients win over 750 million in grant awards. She has researched grant funding, grant making trends, and board-related barriers to non-profit capacity building for over 47 years. Dr. Bev is the founder and director of the Grant Writing Training Foundation and Bev Browning LLC. She also is the author of 47 grant writing publications. I could go on and on, but let's hear her speak about her work on this platform. Dr. Bev, honored to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor to be a guest. Thank you. Dr. Bev, grant writing is a tedious process of documentation. Please tell us about the significance of the document. Well, the significance all lies in the guidelines that the funder or foundation or government agency or corporation publishes and their funding priorities. Um, and if you can't follow those, it's a sign of not time to apply. So I like to look at grant readiness and then a go-no-go no go assessment. So first we look at the organization the nonprofit itself. Mm -hmm. We look at the guidelines from the funder and we look at the capacity of the nonprofit organization or NGO, non-governmental organization, mm -hmm. to actually be able to implement a program should they propose something and it gets funded because everybody wants a grant. Everybody right. wants to apply for a grant. It's, they call it free money. When it comes from the government, It's not free money. It's money with red, red flags, red tape, and lots of reporting, transparency, and accountability. When it comes from a foundation or corporation, it's a little bit lighter, but they expect you to keep the promise. So the grant application or proposal, it is the promise of what you will do if you are awarded that money through your organization. Mm -hmm. And it means you can't change the plan. You can't should change the budget line items, expenses of what you propose to spend. You should keep the partners that you listed, the organizations in the community that are going to step up, provide some sort of leverage through giving you free meeting space or matching some dollars to help you get a grant award. But it really means a fit, a fit like this, where Everything fits perfectly. There's no fingers out. There's no, oh, well, we meet one of the priorities, but we can't meet them all. 
you have to be a hundred percent match or you should not apply unless you have talked to the funder first to see if there's a chance to receive consideration for a grant award if you don't totally align with their mission and what they want to fund. Oh, okay. So a lot of pre-groundwork uh, is necessary before the actual application and finding out all right. Yes, and you really matching, have to assess it. Right. And that matching also has to be done by some authority or is it somebody from the nonprofit and the government that does it? It's the internal staff at the nonprofit. It can be the governing board members, the executive director, the program coordinators or program directors. Um, it can also be the people that provide the frontline services that actually work with the clients or the people who are in need of something that come to that organization. So with that, everybody that knows what the need is mm -hmm. and has collected documentation to prove that there's a need, they should be at the planning table to determine is this grant a fit? Is this something we can apply for and we have a chance of winning? Okay, all right. And uh, what are the hurdles in receiving grants for nonprofits? I mean, they what are they? Be, uh, you know, uh, not, uh, like you say, uh, not giving in all the prerequisites. But is there any other hurdle? Yes, sorry. Yes, prerequisites. They have to have an engaged governing board. Their board of directors has to know what's happening. They have to be practicing their board roles and responsibilities with, with duty and care. They have to understand and know the finances of the organization, money in, money out, all the time. The board really is the decision maker, and they're over the executive director and they also, in the executive director's absence, are responsible for keeping that organization running, providing services from day to day. So if the board hasn't been trained in all of their responsibilities, you should not be applying for grants. Why? Because if something goes wrong with that grant and you spend $1 the wrong way and you are audited, by the funder, and they find that you have misspent their money, then they will go after the board, and they can sue the board, and if the board doesn't have directors and officers liability insurance, then those board members could lose their homes, their cars, their savings, their retirement, their personal belongings. That's why it's so important for the board to be trained and then to get them covered with the right kind of insurance to protect them. Wow, that is something that is, uh, you know, you have to think twice before. So uh, from this, I gather that uh, a nonprofit has to be well established to be able to apply to a grant. Otherwise, if it's a fresh nonprofit, you know, very newly established, uh, they probably do not have the experience or the uh, running of the nonprofit um, for enough duration. So uh, what is the time that a nonprofit needs to be existing and running thoroughly before applying for a grant? They need to be in existence for at least two years minimum before they start to apply for grants. If they're an NGO, 
They need to be registered with the United Nations. If they're a nonprofit organization in the States, United States, they need to be registered with the Internal Revenue Service and their own state's department. Um, I think it's called Corporate Commission. It's where we are approved because you are a nonprofit corporation. So you incorporate as a nonprofit in your state first, then you get your ID number. And then you go for the Internal Revenue Service tax-exempt status, mm -hmm. which provides you with a letter that funders will ask for. So if you're an NGO internationally located, you want to align with the United Nations and go along with their guidelines for non-governmental organizations so that you're listed on their website and you're deemed as credible. So how do you get money in the first two years if you, if you can't go after the big grants? You go after smaller corporate donations, $500, $1,000, $2,500. Um, there are corporations all over the world, and they all have community responsibility or social responsibility programs. And a lot of times they don't even advertise or put on the Internet that they award money to NGOs or to non, um, tax-exempt organizations in the United States. So you have to do your due diligence. You have to study. You have to know who works there. You have to use LinkedIn to connect to the people who are at the higher level and then begin to communicate, build a relationship, and then say, our NGO or our new nonprofit is in dire need of seed monies in order to pilot a program. Mm -hmm. We would like to know what paperwork would you need from us in order to consider donating since we are new and cannot go after larger grants until we hit the two-year mark. So explain your status. Let them know why you're asking. Even if they don't have anything up about supporting the community, most nonprofits will, most for-profit corporations will sweep 5% of their annual profits into some kind of a community responsibility program. Oh, okay. So basically, take baby steps and then move on to the big grants. Yes, and the board also has to, the governing board of the nonprofit, they also have to adopt a give or get policy where they say that, okay, we agree to give X amount of dollars annually every year to this organization to help build it. Or if we don't have it to give, we will go out and find other people to give and bring those monies back here and give them to the executive director to deposit into the bank. Oh, okay, wonderful. I didn't know that. Um, also, is it possible, like, obviously the competition is very high with the number of grants that are there. So is it possible that two nonprofits applying to the same grant, uh, though one nonprofit has the need uh, and the other nonprofit doesn't really seem to have the need, but yet uh, gets the grant? Uh, is that scenario ever possible? Yes, that is possible because the nonprofit that didn't have the need, they established an upfront relationship with that funding agency. They got to know the people that made decisions. They probably talked to them for at least six months to a year, talking about their nonprofit, who they served, how they were doing their evaluation results from previous grants that they may have gotten from other organizations. 
And so they became friends. They became to know each other. That nonprofit board and executive director invited the funding program officer to their programs, to their special events, oh. to their fundraisers. And even though they, that nonprofit, that bigger nonprofit, had a lot of money in the bank and could have floated on their own, they spent it prudently. They didn't waste any. And so the foundation gave them money over the other foundation, which did not build a relationship. They simply looked at the website, did a little homework but not enough, and then they applied without calling, without going to meet with them, without establishing a relationship professionally, without becoming friends, without going to any meetings that that foundation or corporate grant maker had for the public. And so now they slide in the door with this grant request, and it's like, who are these people? Why are they asking us for money? We don't know them. We've never met them. We've never heard of them. Yes, they have a need, but they don't understand mannerism and protocol. Ah, okay. So basically build a relationship and then move forward. Yes. Ah, okay. And uh, the actual document, the actual grant writing, uh, is it very technical or is it something um, that obviously requires a lot of research? But can you add some unusual uh, narration? Can you add a story? Can you add some kind of... Uh, you know, context to uh, the actual document? Or is it very technical? Yes. <clears throat> yes, you can. And it should be upfront in the organizational background and capability narrative. So I will give you an example. So I'm going to make up a foundation. Um, the Children of Hope nonprofit was established in 2018 by Mary Smith. Mary had been given away by her biological teenage mother right after she was born. She was left on the doorsteps of a fire station, cuddled in a blanket, in a basket. No one really ever traced Mary back to her biological mother, so Mary was put into the state's foster care system. Mary remained in that system until she was 18 years old when she became an adult. No one ever came to adopt her or take her. And the older she got, the lesser chance she had of getting a family of her own. Mary was determined to work two jobs and put herself through college to become a social worker. And after she got her master's degree in social work, she founded the Children of Hope. And it is specifically for older children that are in the foster care system, ages 12 through 17, to provide them with family experiences during the holiday where families with other children are able to be screened, checked, make sure it's safe and secure. They have a home visit by the social work agency. And then Mary places them there for major holidays and sometimes for up to two weeks between, uh, maybe a month between Thanksgiving and Christmas. These children 
understand what it means to be around a family with food on the table that they enjoy eating, with a warm bed to sleep in, with new clothes provided by grants that Mary has gone out and received from multiple foundations. So when they have to go back to foster care, they are ready to be profiled on the local television station for the Children of Hope Friday one-hour segment, where Mary profiles an older child every Friday. So far over the years, Mary has placed 26 older children into permanent adoption situations. Mary is a child of hope, and she has hope for all foster children. Oh, that is so beautifully put. I wouldn't, I mean, uh, is that is that even uh, made up right now? <laughs> it's, it's, okay, so I get it. I, so I, you are being very specific. You are being, uh, you are stating the need. You are telling what she went through. And then you are talking about what the outcome would be. So uh, very well organized. Yes, and so that talks about children of hope. And then we would talk about their community partners, their board members, how many volunteers they have, how many volunteer hours her volunteers uh, donate annually. And then we would go into the statement of need. And that's the gloom, doom, drama, and trauma. Okay, Nationally, there are over 400,000 adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17 that are in long-term foster care um, facilities. Okay, group homes, and these homes are not the same as having warm and loving parents or being able to do things with a family, like go to the grocery store, go to a sports event, um, go to a younger child's school play. They're missing out on the bonding that occurs that they need to take the coldness and brutality of the reality of their fate away from them and to give them memories that make them understand the importance of having their own family. Okay, I get that. Gloom, doom, trauma, and drama. 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 Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's uh, very concisely uh, put in there. Wonderful. So, all oh, right. So, we are allowed to have that little bit of narration and talking about yes. stories and yeah but as long as you're giving yes. need and the outcome right from the heart but we also write from the mind we have to know what does the funder want to see yeah. what are the buzzwords on their website what does their mission statement say because we have to align with their mission statement what is it they want to fund they want to fund youth development so we do some research on youth development in the foster care system for older children that have never been adopted. We make sure we do national research, then regional or state research, then we bring it down to our county and we talk about how many children are in the system, how many children won't have a family um, as they, you know, return to school, as they plan their, you know, summer vacation is no different than any other day because they're doing the same thing. Mealtime is always the same. It's always limited. They never get to have second helpings. Mm -hmm. All of those things contribute yeah. to creating 
of, of capturing audience that want to change the lives of these children. So we reach out to the psychology of the funding decision maker, and we put an arrow into their heart with our storytelling. Yeah. Uh, so you spoke about research and the statistics, and obviously these have to be uh, quantified, right? These have to be cited. Uh, yes, we use words like all, many, many, everyone, um, approximately. We need real numbers and we need citations, built-in reference or research citations with endnotes or footnotes or something that has source. Even if you're doing a copy and paste into an online grant application portal, you're still going to have source and then list all your website addresses, where you got that information from. And any research that you find should not be more than five years old. If it's over than five years old, you will not get funded. Oh, okay. All right. That's, that's interesting. Right. Assuming that the money has come in, assuming that the grant is there for the nonprofit, uh, how often is it monitored? How often is it audited? Well, the funder may never come out or they could come out and do a site visit. But internally, they should start collecting data and start the evaluation process day one. They should be laying out their evaluation tools, how they're going to collect the data. You know, so in the case of the foster uh, care placement, they're going to collect information from the children with pre-interviews, and then they're going to do interviews six months after they've been placed into an adopted home. And they're going to find out what the um, what the mindset is of that child. What is their opinion of the placement? Is their life better? Is it the same or is it worse? Are there any things that need to be red flags with the social worker who should be monitoring that child's placement in that home? So there's a lot of things to look at and collect. Also interviewing the parents, the family that that child is placed with. What is their temperament? Are they having tantrums? Are they self-harming? Are they, you know, pretending to be sick so they don't have to go to school? Are there signs that they're being bullied by the other children in your home or by children at school? Are there signs that they're being picked on because maybe they could be of a different ethnicity? Um, we just don't know. You know, the placement could be with any family, not necessarily a cultural grounded family that looks like that child, thinks like that child, but somebody different and they have to get used to everything. How are they adjusting and what support do we need to add through the next grant request so that we don't have these problems with our placements? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, also, um, during this entire process, suppose the board member changes or the person of contact uh, has retired or for whatever reason has left the organization. What is the process there? Is, there, is it a legal document that needs to be done? The Sorry, board, the, pre the president of the board or whoever's on the executive committee, vice president, secretary, treasurer, should know who all the funders are because they have financial responsibility. They should be reaching out to those funders first with a phone call and then with a letter or email indicating that our executive director, due to a long-term illness, has um, retired from this position. We are doing a search for a new executive director. In the meantime, the executive committee of the board 
will be the primary contact for any questions to facilitate site visit visits, as well as continue collecting evaluation data that will be due on the reporting intervals that you required in the grant agreement when the money was awarded. Okay. Thank you for answering that because my questions are very layperson questions, but I, I it's just curiosity. Uh, need to know. Yeah. Let's take a break to understand what Jazuba is. Everyone at some point ponders on how this beautiful life can be made more meaningful. Maybe you're a leader trying to enhance your employees' experience at your organization. Or you already work for the community and seek volunteers with state-of-the-art skills to strengthen your nonprofit. Whatever your situation, know that you can make a difference. Chizuba began with this very vision, a vision to facilitate every skill and every passion in the world in meeting a social need. Corporate volunteering has several benefits for both businesses and organizations. In parallel, experienced and enthusiastic volunteers join NGO workers, enabling them to serve the community more effectively. Chizuba offers everyone looking to add purpose and meaning to their lives a chance to connect or volunteer virtually with non-profit organizations from over 100 countries around the world. Visit www.chizuba.net and explore opportunities to find meaning. Chizuba, your platform to do good. And now, back with our guest. Uh, Dr. Beverly, you also conduct online courses for individuals, right? What is the duration and what is a prerequisite for this program? I do. Um, first of all, I've been teaching for Cengage Learning, C-E-N-G-A-G-E Learning, um, also known as Ed2Go, E-D, the number two, and then geo.com. I teach the grant writing classes. Um, there's a grant writing suite with three courses. And then I also teach becoming a grant writing consultant, and that's for people who know how to write grant applications already. And then most importantly, I teach professional grant writing for those individuals that are grant writers that want to study for certification with the Grant Professional Certification Institute. Okay, They are affiliated with the Grant Professionals Foundation and the Grant Professionals Association. And once you pass the certification exam, you can have the uh, the letters G, P is in Paul, C is in Carol behind your name. It helps open doors, gets you higher paying positions in your career, and if you're a consultant, it's a good way to go after clients. I also created my own online Zoom-based trainings, and I have a 16-week program called Coaching and Mentoring for New and Struggling Grant Writers. Also, freelance grant writing consultants boot camp for people who are grant writing consultants that need to increase the revenue and expand the services in their businesses. Starting in January, I'm doing a train the trainer for a nonprofit board trainers program. It's going to be four weeks and it's going to simulate actual board training processes and how we choose topics. And then finally, I have an over the top mentoring group that will help any grant writer, anybody in the world of grants, be able to pay a small membership fee and attend for 
any three-month cycle they want to throughout the year, every uh, every other week to ask questions, to explore, you know, what they're being challenged with and how to deal with clients, how to answer something on a grant application. So, yes, my website is Bev, B-E-V, Browning.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Dr. Beverly Browning. It's easy to find me. Yeah, that's lovely. I think I'm going to sign up for your course. It sounds oh, <laughs> right, Dr. Bev. Thank you so much for throwing light on this very important topic. Uh, I'm sure all nonprofits will benefit from this. Uh, all those who are listening to this podcast have definitely gained a better understanding. I know I have and what grant writing is and why it needs to be done the way it needs to be done. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Can I give two, three takeaways? Absolutely. Welcome. Okay, the first is for my nonprofits and NGOs, get your act together. Make sure the organization is grant ready. Second, have a board of at least five to seven people. A board is not one person or two people and really shouldn't be three people. You need workers who can give you 15 to 20 hours of volunteer time a month to help build the nonprofit organization. That's their role. They also need to be able to give money or get money. And finally, a grant does not come without strings. There's always going to be a reporting process, an accountability process, a transparency process. And if you mess it up, you've committed something called grant-seeking suicide, which means the word will get around the grantmaker community and no one will ever trust your organization again to write a check made out to it. So please use these takeaways to get better, be better, do better, and get more. Amazing. Thank you so much. I think that is like a whole lot of uh, bounty that we've got. Great advice. Thank you very much, Dr. Beverly. And that's it from... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's it in this episode. I'm sure this episode was extremely enlightening to all the nonprofits and people listening to this. See you again in the next episode with another person who is really making change to the community. Till then, goodbye.